we just hosted our first ever hometown investment master symposium in Sarasota, Florida. The early December conference featured a top-notch lineup of expert speakers, many of whom were generous enough to sit down and discuss markets with me on site. This week's podcast episode features one of those interviews with Jim Bianco. He is the president and macro strategist at Bianco Research and a noted independent expert on stocks, bonds, the intersection of markets and politics, and much more. The whole point of borrowing is to pull forward expending. Why do people take out more on 30-year mortgages in their 20s and 30s? Because they'll have the money to afford that house in their 50s, but they don't need it in their 50s. They need it in their 20s and 30s. So they're borrowing that money now in anticipation of what they will make over the next 30 years to make that purchase right now. We're stimulating the housing market. We're not selling homes to only people that are 50 years old. Uh, we're trying to sell them to people that are earlier. So if we're to argue that we've got too much debt and we have to lower interest rates so we can borrow more, we're making an argument for massive inflation. All right, so you were here to talk about the big picture outlook for inflation in the economy, and I, I found your message about you know, it's not that bad was sort of how I'd summarize it versus some of the doom and gloom that's out there. Why don't you uh, speak about that a little bit? Why are you more optimistic than some of the other uh, people these days? The doom and gloom comes from this old adage that usually something breaks the economy. A war, spiking crude oil prices, a financial crisis like 2008 or a pandemic is why we will usually have recessions. And so people are surmising that the thing that is going to break the economy this ride on is high interest rates. I have pushed back that interest rates are really just returning to a pre-quantitative easing normal. We got so used to 2009 to 2020 with zero interest rates, negative interest rates in Europe, that we thought that that was normal. And then when we see what interest rates used to look like before 2009, we think that they're like a rerun of the 80s and we're gonna drive the economy to its knees. I don't think that's the case at all, that these rates aren't gonna break anything. Now that's the good news. Um, and the better news is that means that investors now are gonna have an alternative uh, that you, know, you can invest in stock indexes, you can invest in things, or if you want to stay in cash, you're gonna get 5%, it's better than zero, which is what you were getting a couple of years ago. Uh, the not so good news about that is I think it's going to keep inflation, I use the word sticky, at around 3%. Now, I didn't say 8, 10, or Zimbabwe inflation. <laughs> I said 3. That's going to be a problem because what that does is that undergirds the whole idea that 5% interest rates, maybe 6% interest rates you know, in a year or two might be more of the normal that we're going to see. And I know people tend to like throw up in their mouth when they hear 6% interest rates. And I think once we get there, we're going to see, no, it's not nearly as bad as it was. I'm old enough to remember, you're old enough to remember pre-2009, 6% interest rates were kind of there and the world survived. Yeah. And now that we don't longer have QE depressing interest rates, I think we're going to find We'll be fine with those rates, but we're just going to have to start to get used to it. And, you know, in your presentation, you talked about some of the people, Bill Ackman, for example, or Blackstone, that have been lamenting this, this end of just free money uh, and, and, you know, all of these real interest rates are, are a problem. Why do you disagree with that, that take? Well, <clears throat> because I don't see any evidence that it is really breaking things. Now, to be clear, the housing market was better with a 3% or 5% mortgage rate than it is with an 8% mortgage rate. So that is not bullish for housing, but the gloom and doom that the housing market is falling apart with an 8% mortgage rate or now 7.5, I don't see it. I see it 
as the market is being able to handle it. The argument that 2% real rates, real rates is whatever you get above the inflation rate, so you get 2% interest rate above whatever the prevailing inflation rate is, that was standard fare for 50 years in the economy before 2009, and we did just fine with those rates. So I think what's happened was we got used to 2009 to 2020, and we somehow convinced ourselves that was kind of normal. And now that we see what rates look like before 2009 in QE, we think, oh my God, look how high they are. Yes, compared to 2009 to 2020. No, compared to anything pre-2009. Let's talk a little bit about higher interest rates and the impact on different sectors, government, corporations, and so on. I found it very interesting that uh, on a net basis, corporations actually aren't getting hurt very hard by what we're seeing, right? Right. The government is. The government is a payer of interest rates. So when interest rates go up, they pay, and they pay more. Um, corporations, they have interest income. And we kind of forget that. They, yes, they borrow, and then their borrowing costs go up. We understand that, and they have to pay more. But they also have cash, and they also have short-term investments, which were, until two years ago, yielding nothing. And the example that I used was Warren Buffett. And Warren Buffett uh, has $165 billion of cash on his balance sheet. Well, two years ago, that $165 billion was earning him nothing. Today, it's earning him about 8 to $10 billion a year. So he's getting that extra income. Now, when you offset that extra eight to 10 billion on whatever extra he has to spend on expenses for higher interest rates, they're actually improving on their position. Now, I did acknowledge there are highly indebted companies that don't have a lot of cash, well, they're gonna be in trouble. Yeah. And then there are companies like Microsoft without very much borrowing with a lot of cash, they're watching their, their income go up every day as interest rates continue to creep higher all year. So the, the net of the economy is better. On the ho household side, it's unfortunate that it has to be this way, but it is. The rich own all the assets. That, I'm going to define the rich as the top 50% of net worth in the country. They own 80% of the assets, and they own 98% of all of the retirement assets in this country. So when interest rates go up, a lot of those assets are fixed income related, and they're getting more interest income. The poor, unfortunately, the bottom 50% of the country, own over half the debt in the country. They're being burdened by higher interest costs. Jay Powell, the, pre, uh, the uh, Federal Reserve Chairman, knows this, and he talks about that they have to get the inflation rate down so they can bring these rates down, because what's really hurting the poor is higher inflation costs as well. But the reality is, if the top 50% of the country is being benefited by higher rates, they do all the spending. And the bottom 50% doesn't. So the economy from a GDP, from a move forward standpoint, will continue to churn along with interest rates at these levels. Now, the thing, am I saying that higher interest rates for always are going to be forever good? No, because at some point you will get to unsustainable levels. I don't think we're there. And the other thing is, with the yield curve inverted, mm -hmm. higher short-term rates is bringing in a lot more interest income because most people borrow longer term. And so while those expenses are going up, they're not going up as much. If the yield curve reverts back to a normal space, then those expenses will go up more than the income. Now that may be down the road in a year or two or three that we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that when it occurs. But for the last almost two years now, a little over eight, actually 20 months, we've had an inverted yield curve. So that is benefiting 
the, the wealthy 50% because they're seeing more interest income than they're paying out in interest expenses. The last couple of minutes that we have here, let's talk about market implications of all this. I mean, you, you mentioned that the Magnificent Seven, you mentioned Microsoft already. You know, that's been such a concentrated market. How do you see that changing, if you see that changing, as we roll into 2024 and beyond? You know, I've argued that what we've seen in 2020 was we saw the end of a lot of trends. The 40-year bull market in bonds ended. We're now in an area of higher interest rates. I think the housing, uh, excuse me, the labor market has made a ma massive change with work from home and the transactional nature that people have at jobs. In other words, people are not afraid to quit their job and, and unions are not afraid to strike because they feel that they have the power and all the evidence is like labor hoarding is a phrase that we use, is they do. And that in management is begging them not to quit and is giving them more money to stop the strikes as opposed to firing them and, find, and replacing them. So that era has, has definitely changed. Uh, so as we move forward from here, what does that mean? I think that when it comes to investing, the era that we were in before, which is what we call the index era, buy, buy SPY, the S&P 500, or buy the bond index, or buy, actually I'm going to leave the bond index out because I still think that index buying and fixed income is still in, but in equities, you know, buy XLE, which is the energy ETF, as opposed to picking an energy stock. I think we're going to transition back to a stock picking environment. And as I joked on the stage, you know, Peter Lynch can come out of retirement now. We need his skills again because the index buy, buy the ETF, sell the ETF might give away to buying good stocks, buying bad stocks. Last year was a bad year for the market. But if you recognized what was happening with energy, the energy stocks were up 80%. This year is a good year for the index because most of the gains are coming from these magnificent seven AI stocks, but everything else isn't doing a whole lot. So we're going to go back to picking individual investments. It's a skill set we haven't had to use for 20 years. It is, an er it is a transition that will probably take a decade. It's not going to happen instantly. But I think what people are going to see is that the index itself is going to give you kind of milk toast returns. I'm not, you know, 4% in the S&P, 5% in the S&P. It's better than zero, but it's nothing special. But there are active managers that catch these themes and they're up 30% or 40%. And so we're, maybe we're gonna start chasing this idea of picking individual stocks. Like I said, it'll take a decade, but I think we're transitioning in that area. Right. Well, Jim, I really do appreciate your time. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes out here and uh, enjoy the rest of the event. Thank you.